at the end of the service, all of the new members will be lined up out here or it might be outside. Um, Pastor Albert will, will correct me on, on, the, on the proper uh, place where you can line up and greet them and pray for them. But that's not the only time. As you see them around the campus throughout the rest of this month or next month, please do welcome them as new members of our church family. Now, we've just celebrated the joy of baptism, but baptism is just one step in this lifelong journey we know as Christian discipleship. Baptism and church membership are initial steps into the lifelong journey of following Jesus. Our church, being a Baptist church, we tie together baptism and membership. The reason for that is baptism represents you joining and officially becoming, through union with Christ, joining the spiritual body of Christ. So when you say, I am being baptized into the body of Christ, that ties hand in hand with becoming a member. The illustration that Paul gives us for the New Testament church is the body of Christ, where each individual is given different spiritual gifts, but you're all part of a body like a human body where each person operates as a member. And when every member of the body operates effectively through the power of the spirits and in union with Christ, then the body grows in strength and maturity and the body's complete. And so that's why baptism and membership are tied together and we celebrate both of them. Now today we're going to see the account of Jesus meeting the first five of his 12 official disciples, his 12 apostles, the first five of his disciples as they some of them witnessing Jesus's baptism, and they decide to follow him. So from our passage today, I want you to see four ongoing rhythms of discipleship. Four ongoing rhythms of discipleship. And so the title of this morning's message is Rhythms of Discipleship. Notice that these are four rhythms, not four chronological steps. It's not like you jump through one hoop or check off one box and then you're on to your next step, and you never go back to the beginning. We call these rhythms because as we behold Christ, as we believe in Christ, as we become like Christ, and as we bring others to Christ, those are the four rhythms that I'll give to you as we go along the way. We never stop beholding Christ. We never stop gazing upon Christ. Yes, we believe in Christ at one point, and it leads to conversion, but we never stop growing in faith in having that belief tested and strengthened. We never stop becoming like Christ until we go to heaven, and we never, ever stop seeking for ways to bring others to Jesus Christ through the power of the Spirit. So for the rest of your life, you will follow Christ by beholding, believing, becoming, and bringing. So these are rhythms that we grow in, rhythms that we practice at the church, as a church. We practice the way of following Jesus. So point number one, this morning. The first point that we see is follow and behold. Follow and behold. And we see this in chapter 1 of John. John 1 verses 35 to 39. Then repeated again in verse 43. Then reflected again in verse 46. So if you have God's word, please take it and turn with me to John chapter 1 verses 35 to 39. Now I know that you were exhorted to power down your phones 
And that's a good exhortation. I know some of you have your Bibles on your phone, so maybe that's a good time to encourage you to buy a paper Bible. I never thought that in America that I would have to encourage people to buy a bigger uh, a paper Bible because we all have one. But nowadays, I think there's a generation that doesn't own a paper Bible. If you can't afford one, sell your car. No, I'm just kidding. I look in the parking lot. I'm like, you guys drive really nice cars. Um, you can afford a Bible. But if you can't afford one, come to the office, ask us. We will uh, gladly provide you with a paper Bible. I know some of you have an excuse. I can't see the words. Me neither. I wear contact lenses. So I got this 12-point font huge Bible. That's why it's so thick. And so buy a paper Bible, buy a big Bible with large print, and put your phones away. I mean it. Because it will allow you to focus and zone in. So today you get a pass, but by next week, we want everybody to have a paper Bible, okay? I know it's an extra thing to lug around, but again, uh, it allows you to focus on God. Point number one, follow and behold. Look with me now, verses 35 to 37, where I will read to you, and I want you to see follow and behold, okay? It says this, the next day John, and this is John the Baptist, not John the, the author, was standing with two of his disciples, his followers, and he looked, so follow and behold, he looked at Jesus as he walked by and said, behold, which means to look. The Lamb of God. The two disciples heard him say this, and they, what? They followed Jesus. Stop right there for a moment. So you see the themes at the very beginning of behold, of looking and following. So what does it mean to follow Jesus? Well, the first rhythm is to follow him by beholding him, by looking at him, but maybe looking at your Bibles to learn about him. Maybe looking at other Christians, imperfect Christians, to see what a foretaste of, of, of someone who is filled with Christ, what that looks like. So you see this theme come out in verses 35 to 42, but you're going to see this again later in verse 43 where Jesus says to Philip, follow me. Then in verse 46, Philip invites Nathaniel, come, come, and before you follow him, see him. Come and see Jesus. So at this point, we're formally introduced to two disciples of John the Baptist. Now in verse 40, it's very clear who are these first two disciples of the original 12 disciples, the official 12. The first, his name is Andrew. And the second one is not named, but I, I think there's a literary purpose to this. The second disciple, the nameless one, is actually John the Apostle, the writer, the author of this gospel. That John the Apostle, he beholds Jesus with his very own eyes. He follows Jesus. He sees Jesus. He learns about Jesus. He's transformed by Jesus. And now he's giving you his accounts of the gospel of Jesus Christ. So you have the first two disciples, Andrew and John the apostle, not John the Baptist. But just a side note that this is not the first time that Andrew and John hear John the Baptist say, Behold the Lamb of God. Last week, Pastor Albert already explained the meaning of the Lamb of God. But John the Baptist made disciples. And what did John the Baptist's discipleship look like? He was discipling his disciples to behold Christ, to prepare for Christ, to point, and he was pointing them towards Christ. And as soon as Jesus Christ walks by, he points his disciples, Behold, there 
bears Christ. And guess what? His disciples, what? They were conditioned to look and recognize. And it doesn't say they stayed with John the Baptist. They what? They followed Jesus. So they beheld Christ and they followed Christ. They turned their eyes to Jesus. They focused on Jesus and they followed Jesus. Now let me be clear theologically for those of you who are newer to Christianity. At this point, and here's where there's application. You can follow Christ as a believer. You can also follow him, seeking him, and learn how to believe. You can believe in him as a Christian and then learn to follow him. You see, there's an interplay. It's not always as clear for each and every person. If you look at your own journey of following Jesus, it's going to be very different, possibly, from the person sitting next to you. Some of you in here this morning, you don't even know that you're beginning to follow Jesus. Maybe you've been Googling religion and Christianity and reading some books. Maybe you've been observing and talking to your Christian friends. And when you look back on this five years from now, if you are converted, and if I ask you, when did you start following Jesus, you're going to be like, well, I'm not really sure. I wasn't converted yet, but I began to follow him. This is what's happening with Andrew and John. They are not yet transformed. They are not yet converted. There are places in the gospel where their faith is tested and their faith needs to be affirmed. And Jesus didn't even go to the cross to finish the gospel for them yet. What is the good news? It's not done yet. He hasn't died yet. What's the good news? He died and resurrected. The resurrection hasn't happened yet. So after his resurrection, Andrew and John are confirmed as official followers of Jesus in a way of being born again. They're official Christians. But at this point, they're beginning to follow him. They're interested in him. What did John the Baptist do? John the Baptist taught Andrew and John the Apostle early on to begin to recognize Christ and he taught them meaning these two Andrew and John their hearts were aware of their own sinfulness yet they weren't born again yet they were aware of their need for repentance because in the gospel of Matthew you'll learn that if you go back and read Matthew that John the Baptist's key central message was repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand repent for the king is coming Repent, meaning turn your life around. Turn and ask for forgiveness. What is the turning? Turn towards Jesus. Turn and follow him. Turn and obey him. Turn from wherever you are in life and repent and turn. I have to say this because in our culture, in our day today, we don't like the word repent. You use the word repent, you get canceled. And I'm telling you, we must cherish the beauty of that word repent. Repent. It just means to turn. Because if you don't repent, you're still stuck in your old life. Everyone who was baptized, they turned. Their hearts were turned. Not only their hearts, it wasn't just believe intellectual sense, but they had decided actively to respond to Christ and to follow him. Follow is active language. It requires the work, yes. There's the believe. We, might, we can't confuse the work of grace. Dallas Willard famously was the one who said, grace is not opposed to effort. It is opposed to earning. Salvation by grace means you cannot earn your salvation through rituals and circumcision and following the Jewish tradition and law. It doesn't mean you don't exercise repentance and effort and actually turn to Christ. 
because that's discipleship. How many times do we see in the gospel, follow, follow, repent, follow, follow, abide, remain. Christianity must be done because of what was done for us. There's an interplay here. And so there's this follow and behold, and basically John the Baptist prepared two of his disciples to follow Jesus. Now look at verse 38. Look in your Bibles. It says, Jesus turned and saw them following. You see that? It wasn't just, okay, I'm going to, you know, salvation's by grace alone, so I don't need to do anything, Jesus. I'm just going to sit here and intellectually ascend into knowledge. They actually what? They had to get up off their feet and go towards Jesus. It is something to laugh about, and, and, and it is a joy. And so Jesus turned, he saw them following, he said to them, Why are, what are you seeking? So that's what I'm saying. For those of you who are here this morning seeking Jesus Christ, you're in the right place. Is that there's a stage in our Christian life where you seek Christ and you never stop seeking Christ. But there is an initial stage where you haven't fully given your life to Jesus yet, but you're following him and you're seeking him. And I'll show you in point number four and point number three that he's actually also seeking you. But Jesus turned and saw them following and said to them, what are you seeking? What are you looking for? And they said to him, Rabbi, which means they don't know that he's Lord yet. They don't know that this is the Son of God. They say, teacher, where are you staying? Now this word staying in the Greek, it's the same word. The root word is meno. It means to remain and abide. And it's the same word John picks up on later in John 15. Remain in me, Jesus says. Abide in me. Apart from me, you can do nothing. And so this already begins to clue you in. Staying is, they're not saying, hey, Rabbi, where are you living? Where are you reciting? They're actually saying, where are you staying? Because we are inviting ourselves over. We want to spend time with you. Can we abide with you? Can we remain in you? We want to be your disciples. So here you have two unbelievers, non-believers. They're not yet Christians. They're seeking the Messiah. They don't know who the Messiah is. Can any of you relate to that this morning? They don't really know who Jesus is, and, but they're interested. And in order for them to learn, they need to actually remain. And they actually need to spend time with Jesus and learn about him. And Jesus is going to invite them in. Now look at verse 39. Jesus invites them in. He doesn't give them all the answers. He doesn't say, ah, I know what you're asking. Here's 10 reasons why I can prove the existence of God. He doesn't give them that. He doesn't also say, let me immediately show you a miracle for why I am the Messiah. He doesn't do that for them. What he says is, he said to them, come and you will see. Yes, you need to follow. You need to follow me. You need to come. Stay with me. That's the only way you're going to see that I am the Son of God. Right? So he says to them in verse 39, he says, come and you will see. Come, follow, and behold. You see point number one? Follow and behold. And so they came and saw where he was staying, and they stayed. They abided. They menoed with him that day, for it was the, about the 10th hour. There's nothing significant about the 10th hour. Okay, the reason why John puts this here, the 10th hour is about 4 p.m. This is about 4 p.m. So this is toward the end of the day. The detail of the time 
commentators tell us is just a record that John was actually a witness, that he actually has facts. He actually could tell you, yeah, not only did, did we stay with Jesus, but we stayed with him starting at 4 p.m. He's just giving you some details. Now, there are two immediate applications. And so for point number one, I'm going to give you a few more applications. When we get to point four, it should be a two-minute mention of just a reference point, okay? So first application, how do we follow and behold? What does this look like in our everyday lives? Here's the first idea. You and I, we live in an instant culture. We live in a culture where sometimes we're action-oriented. We don't have a lot of patience. We don't have a lot of, okay, wait and see. It takes time to get to know people. Relationships take time. We want a quick fix overnight. But following Jesus means to stay with Him. And so you could actually follow, do something active by staying so the first way, the first application is actually in our day is to stay and dwell with Jesus. This is essential application. Think about this. How can you follow someone? How can you actually be someone's disciple? To be a disciple means to be someone's student. But we know for Jesus, it's more than just knowledge, like book knowledge, like being a student of a, of a secular teacher. It means to observe his life, to learn from him, to converse with him and to live life with Him. How can you be someone's disciple if you don't stay with them? And here's the, here's the truth. Every single day, there are countless moments where we, who profess to be followers of Jesus, live as if Jesus doesn't exist. Now, don't get me wrong. This doesn't mean that we don't believe in Jesus. That doesn't mean that we don't love Jesus. Even in preparing sermons, I can do it out of my own willpower, my own knowledge, and just looking at books and resources and my own thoughts. I can prepare sermons for getting to pray and then realize, oh man, I, I need to spend some time with Jesus. I was reading a book uh, last week by Alan Fadling, and he has this exercise where he says, take your to-do list, your list for the day, you can have difficult things, difficult meeting with coworker. You can have easy things, go to the supermarket. You can have something as watch my kids and try not to die. Uh, you know, you can do whatever, wash the dishes. And just take that and, and just spend a moment just to write with Jesus, with Jesus, with Jesus, with Jesus, with Jesus, next to each one. That's what Jesus wants to do. That's discipleship. So is there a work? Is there a good work that Christ produces in us? Is there an action to following Him? Yes, it's to live your life and go through your everyday life with Jesus. Knowing, acknowledging His presence with you, praying to Him, a simple prayer with your eyes open as you're walking and say, Jesus, be with me now as I go into this difficult meeting. Be with me now as I face my kids. Be with me now. I'm super exhausted and tired. I'm about to pick up my kids. Help me to be present. Help me to be patient. Just to ask Jesus to be with you. And oftentimes, we move ahead of Jesus in a sense, rather than staying with him and allowing him to work through us and with us, we follow him, well-meaning, as if Jesus is 10 feet of Ahead of us. So even those of us who want to be pious, we might say, I'm going to follow Jesus by doing something for him. I'm going to go to church and serve him. Well, while you're serving, are you praying to him? Are you doing it with him or out of your own flesh? I'm going to go to a mission trip. That's a great thing. But I'm just going to go do this for Jesus. This is good works. Amen. You should. 
but are you doing it with Jesus? So one, we can go through life living, but doing things as if Jesus doesn't exist. A momentary atheist who actually loves and believes in Jesus. Or two, we can do good works and service for Jesus in the name of Jesus without Jesus and with our flesh. And so what a challenge that is to follow and behold him by staying with him. Second application is to behold and come and see. Is that to experience, so the second application is to come and see. Jesus invites anyone who's seeking him to come and see. So this is the fact that to experience the true Christian life, you have to come and see. And I alluded to this, but we live in a totally different culture. Our culture here in the West is very different. If I try to sell you something, whether it's a car or an electronic product, you're going to ask me questions. Show me how it works. Show me that it works. Show me the warranty. Show me the return policy. Right? We want to know the ins and outs. We want all of the answers. I think we approach life that way. Sometimes it's appropriate, right? You go to your job. You apply for a job. Show me my immediate, I want my exact job description. I want to know how much I'm paid. What are my benefits? When do I get a raise? Give me my path of development. How are you going to improve me? The only place where you can't talk like that is when you interview for a job at a church as a pastor because then they think you're greedy. (laughs) But in everybody else, every other place in society, it is wise that you do that. And at the end of the day, that's how a lot of us seek Jesus. Jesus, show me 10 reasons why I should follow you. Once again, show me that you exist. Show me that you're real. Show me how you make my life better. And then Jesus says, take up your cross and follow me. I'm going to wash you with the blood. And some of you who aren't, you know, aren't from a cultural Christianity, you're like, what, wash me with blood? That sounds like murder, <laughs> right? And, and, and so at the end of the day, once you start to read the Word of God, Jesus doesn't make sense to you unless you kind of grew up in cultural Christianity. And so at, at the end of the day, Jesus calls us. And the only way to really learn about Jesus is he doesn't give you all the answers up front. He invites you to come and see, and because of staying with him and seeking him, you learn over time how he's going to work you through trials, how he's going to use trials and hardship to grow your faith and to strengthen you. I need to move on to point two. I got a few more applications, but I don't want to do it this morning. Point number two is follow and believe. Follow and believe. Look with me now at verses 43 to 45. 43 to 45, follow and believe. So the first rhythm was to follow and behold. The second rhythm is to follow and believe. Notice what John says. He says, the next day, Jesus decided to go to Galilee. He found Philip and said to him, once again, follow me. Be my disciple, follow me. That's active. Verse 44, now Philip was from Bethsida, the city of Andrew and Peter, Philip found Nathanael and said to him, We found him of whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Now, a few things I want you to just point out very briefly is to notice that the immediately Jesus doesn't say, Come, follow me, and, and you know, bring other people to me, but I need you to go to the ends of the earth. That's later for these 12 apostles. The first thing is, Go to, the, go to the guy down the street. Go to the guy that's from the same town as you, maybe a family member or a friend, and let them see that you are learning about Jesus, you're seeking Jesus. Tell them about Jesus. 
You don't have to have all the answers. Because at this point, these disciples are still learning about what it means. And that's why it says Philip was from Bethsaida. Nothing special about the town. It's just the same city as Andrew and Peter. And their first target that they're going to invite to come and see is Peter, Simon Peter. And then later, uh, Philip is going to find Nathaniel. So they're going around to their family and friends. Now, when it talks about Jesus fulfilling Moses in the law and the prophets, Pastor Albert, during the senior pastor series, he spent uh, the entire month explaining this concept. So you can go on YouTube and find our sermons from the month of September. I'm not going to explain that once again this morning. But notice verses 46 and 47. Nathaniel said to him, Can anything good come out of Nazareth? And Philip said to him, Come and see. Once again, you see it repeated. Come and you will see. I'm not going to give you answers. Come and see. So now, Jesus was telling them, come and see. And now, now Nathanael says to Philip the same thing Jesus says, come and see. And verse 47, Jesus saw Nathanael coming toward him and said of him, behold, an Israelite indeed in whom there is no deceit. So we come and see, but Jesus is actually beholding us. And, and when Jesus says that there is an Israelite whom there is no deceit. Jesus not saying that Nathaniel has never told a lie. He's not saying that Nathaniel is never been has never been deceptive. No. Jesus knows that Nathaniel is genuine. He has no duplicity because he is not afraid to bluntly state, does anything good come out of Nazareth? You see what what Jesus is saying is that Nathaniel Thank you for being honest and keeping it real. Yes, maybe there's nothing good that has ever come out of Nazareth. Now, what does that even mean? I I looked this up, studied the commentaries a little bit. There's nothing truly significant. The only thing significant is that Nazareth was a very small town. And there was no, in the Old Testament, there's no prophetic utterance or prophetic blessing that's tied to the city of Nazareth. So in other words, Jesus comes from a town of no significance. They don't, they don't at this point recognize that this is the Lion of Judah. This is Jesus, the Lion of Judah. But it does hint towards it, Joseph. Joseph is the connection back to King David. So there's no... So the, the, the clue is there that Jesus is Messiah, but he's labeled as Jesus of Nazareth. So he comes off as very insignificant, this Jesus character, but we know that he is the greater son of David and the lion of Judah. But then he says, he says something of, of Nathaniel in verse 48 that I think this is where we draw application. Look at verse 48. He says, Nathaniel said to him, how do you know me? Once again, this word for know is a deeper word than just, just knowledge. This is relational knowledge, intimate knowledge. Nathaniel said to him, how do you know me? And Jesus answered him, before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. Now, commentators explain that there's more going on here, right? When you read this at face value, it's, you're seeing Jesus's omniscience, meaning, meaning Nathaniel was physically under a tree, and that Jesus somehow knew about his location. So this tells us that Nathaniel was alone, and Nathaniel 
looked around and Nathaniel, when he was under the fig tree, he knew that there was no stranger or nobody watching him. But would that alone convince you? Because maybe Jesus was hiding behind a tree. I don't know. Right? So there's something deeper. And commentators tell us that the fig tree is most likely where Nathaniel spent time studying the law of Moses and the prophets. Meaning Nathaniel was a Jewish, a pious Jew who was waiting for Messiah. And that's why the reference of studying the law of Moses. We have found him of whom Moses and the law and also the prophets wrote. Nathaniel, the person that you've been looking for, the person you've been praying for, the person you've been seeking under the fig tree. Now, John doesn't give us detail, but not only does Jesus reveal that he knew Nathaniel's location in life, but Jesus also knew the intimate knowledge of what was going on in Nathaniel's heart. And so, so much so, the verse 49 says, Nathaniel answered him, Rabbi, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. This is huge. You don't see this in this early, in any other gospel, that this early on in his journey, he's actually confessing. Unlike Andrew and John and Peter, he's actually confessing, Rabbi, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. You are the Messiah. All it took, so there's something special that John the Apostle doesn't tell us. There's something unique that's happening. So as you have a seeker seeking Jesus, trying to believe, Jesus is actually drawing him near. As we behold Christ, Christ has actually been beholding us. As we see Christ, Christ is actually seeking after us. And in verse 50 to 51, notice Jesus answered him, because I said to you, I saw you under the fig tree. Do you believe? That's it? You will see greater things than these. Verse 51, and he said to him, Truly, truly, I say to you, you will see, future tense, heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. So there's a couple things we need to explain here. First, in this context, the Son of Man is key. Notice the confession. Nathaniel's right. Nathaniel says, I've been seeking you. You are the Son of God. And Jesus says, I am the Son of Man. What is he saying there? What's going on there? Yes, Jesus is the Son of God, the King of Israel, but he's 100% man. You see what Jesus is doing is that you Jews who read Moses and the prophets, you are expecting the king of Israel. You are expecting the Messiah, the Son of God. I am he, but I did not come right now as that victorious king. I am not coming to overthrow the, the, the kingdom of Rome. I am not coming to meet your expectations. I am coming as the son of man. I am becoming, I have become 100% man so that I can go to the cross, die for your sins, and rise again. And by staying with me, you will learn what it means that I am the Son of Man. Jesus says, I come as Messiah, yes, a different type of Messiah, and you will learn that 
That's critical. That's key. And then he refers to, Jesus refers to Genesis 28, where Jacob saw angels descending and ascending on a ladder from heaven, out of heaven, back into heaven. And the summative statement here is that Jesus is truly the ladder that connects heaven to earth and earth back to heaven. Only through Jesus can we enter into heaven. At a more metaphorical level, Jacob also went by the name Israel. And so Jesus is the true and better Israel. Jesus is a true Israelite. He does fulfill the law of Moses and the words of the prophets. And it's through him that anyone can enter into heaven. It's through the Son of Man. And if Nathaniel continues to follow and truly believe, which we believe he actually believes that he is the Son of God, Jesus affirms it here, that he will see the glory of the kingdom. So this leads us to point number three. Point number two was follow and believe. You need to follow. You need to come and see. Then you will believe. You will believe because Jesus is helping you to believe. He will draw you near. <clears throat> but point number three is follow and become. And we see this in verses 40 to 42. Follow and become like Jesus so it's not only follow and behold, it's not only follow and believe, but follow and become. Look with me now, verses 40 to 42. It says, one of the two who heard John speak followed, there you see the key language of discipleship, followed Jesus was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. And he first found his brother Simon and said to him, Simon, we have found the Messiah, which means Christ. Verse 42, he brought him to Jesus Jesus looked, so once again, come and see, and Jesus is going to see you, looked at him and said, you are Simon, the son of John. You shall be called Cephas, which means Peter or the rock. So a couple things that need to be said here. The name Simon was a very common name. Simon's full name, which you, you see in other places, was Simon Bar-Jonah. But here it says Simon, son of John. And the reason for that is that in the Greek, Jonah is Yohanah. That sounds like John. John is Yohan, Yohan, Yohanah, Yohan. So if your name's Jonah, I call you John, it's the same thing. If your name is John, J-O-H-N, I'll just call you Jonah. Biblically, it's the same thing. Don't get offended, okay? If I call you Jonah, stop running from God. So if your name's John and you're running from God, I'll call you Jonah. <laughs> and when you come back, I'll call you John. I'm just kidding. Okay, but he is basically Simon Bar-Jonah. That's his full name, Simon, son of John. Bar is not where you drink and get drunk. Bar means son. Right, so Simon, one of you are laughing over there, Simon, son of John. So at the end of the day, but he gives him a new name. Petros means rock. It means rock. Now here's the key here, is you'll notice that throughout the Gospels, Jesus will refer to Peter by his old name, Simon. Whenever Simon does something where he's acting like his old self, when Simon runs his mouth, when Simon displays a lack of faith, when Simon is impatient, brash, vacillating, what happens? Simon, 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 Simon. Jesus, he calls Simon by his old name when Simon's acting like his old self. But the more and more Simon follows Jesus, and eventually after Jesus' death and resurrection, Simon is known in the early church as Peter. You see, Simon's character, one commentator explains that 
Simon was vacillating, brash, undependable. He would run his mouth. He would make extravagant promises that he couldn't keep. He would jump into something wholeheartedly only to bail out before finishing. But rock is the opposite. Rock is sturdy, trustworthy. The rock doesn't vacillate. The rock is firm. It is dependable. And so basically, Jesus wants to transform Peter into who God wants him to be. Jesus transforms Simon into Peter. What about you? Now, it's different for me and you, right? Jesus might not change your name. He didn't change my name from Hanley to Manly so that I can become more manly because maybe I need to be. He doesn't do that. But he does transform me. I, I realize more and more, and I've been sharing with you, just how impatient I am, how hurried I am, how anxious I am, how proud I can be, how task-oriented I can be, how a lot of times I'm blind to my own sinful attitudes. I think I grow, but I, how much I'm you know, into the knowledge and needing Jesus to form me more. And I see how Jesus wants to transform me, and he's never done And he's going to do that with you. And he's doing that with you. He's going to transform you. And so Jesus actually comes and he wants to give you a new identity. And this is a rhythm that never changes, never stops meaning. You continue to change until you go home to be with him. So once again, like I mentioned last or two weeks ago, we're in an instant quick fix society. Right? We want to download Jesus and download sanctification, which means holiness. We want to download and quickly apply with the quickest Wi-Fi speed we can have. Otherwise, we're impatient. We, we want to download all the fruit of the Spirit. We want to change overnight. And Jesus says, no, 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 that's not how it works. First, you need to come and see. Then you need to behold by staying with me. Then I will teach you what it means to believe. You thought you believed. I'm going to show you. You're looking for the Son of God. I am the Son of God. But you want the kingdom now. I'm not going to give you what you want. I'm going to give you what you don't want because that's what you really need. I am the Son of Man. I'm going to transform you through trials and suffering. Take up your cross and follow me. And then through that, Peter, by taking up your cross and following me and learning that you're a coward and you're afraid, but I'm going to strengthen you. When you die, you're going to die as a martyr. And you're going to become just like me. That's what Jesus wants to do with us. It's a process of discipleship. It is a rhythm of discipleship, follow and become. And finally, point number four, point number four, follow and bring others. Follow and bring others. We see this in verses 35 to 36, verse 42, and verses 45 to 46. We already explained these verses, but just as a reference point, John the Baptist pointed his disciples to Christ. Follow John the Baptist. He wanted them to follow Jesus. He pointed them to Jesus. In a way, he brought them to Jesus. Andrew brought the literal language. It says in verse 42, it says, Andrew brought him to Jesus. Andrew brought Simon Peter to meet Christ. And then in verses 45 to 46, Philip pointed Nathaniel toward Christ. So part of the rhythm of following Jesus is we follow and bring others. But like I mentioned, we invite. That's all we do. You don't convert. You just invite people. Come and see. You don't try to force Christianity down their throats. 
when somebody is struggling with their Christianity, when you have professing believers who go through a time of deconstructing their faith, you can't force that reconstruction. You invite them to search and discover, and you walk side by side with them, and you journey with them, and you walk with your children and your friends and struggling Christians. And you invite them because only when they come and see Jesus and behold him, he will cause the belief they have to do some part of action and that he will transform them. We invite Jesus is the one who saves. Case in point, Nathaniel. Philip invited Nathaniel. Jesus was ready for him. I saw you when you were under that fig tree. I knew what you were thinking and seeking. And little do you know, I've come to seek you and to transform you. The big idea of this morning's message is follow Christ by beholding him, believing him, becoming like him, and bringing others to him. Follow Christ by beholding him, believing him, becoming like him, and bringing others to him. If you're here this morning and you don't know Jesus, we want, you to, we want to invite you to come and see him. And so this morning, maybe you're here because your friend invited you or your family member because somebody got baptized or someone joined the church, you're at the right place. Jesus has been waiting for you. We invite you. So I want to invite everybody to bow your heads right now. And I want to invite the, the response team, the worship team to come, out, come up uh, and, and get ready to lead us in a response song. But I want you to bow your heads. If you're here this morning and you don't know Jesus, I want to invite you to come and see. And I want you to pray this prayer. No one's looking. I'm not going to ask you to walk an aisle. But if you do pray this prayer, I want you to come find an usher, find one of us, and talk to us. We want to journey with you. More than just emailing next steps at FCBC Walnut, we want to put a person behind an email. Come talk to us, okay? So pray with me. Everyone, heads bowed, eyes closed. If you want to follow Jesus, pray this prayer. Father, you've brought us here this morning, dear God. We don't really know you, but we've been seeking you. Lord, maybe we've heard something, seen something, sung something this morning that tugs upon our hearts. Lord, for some reason, we believe that you, Jesus Christ, are the Son of God. Help us to come to you. Pray this with me. Forgive me for my sin. Help my heart to turn. We repent and we turn towards you. We believe that Jesus Christ came Live, died for our sins on the cross, and rose again. Help us to follow you. If you prayed that prayer, you've begun the journey of following Jesus. Conversion happens in Jesus' special time, but becoming his disciple does not happen overnight. It is a lifelong journey. If you prayed that prayer, please find us, join us. We want to journey with you. Now, maybe there's some of you here this morning who the baptisms might have cultivated in your heart this idea that you've come and saw, you've seen along the way, maybe you've even believed intellectually, but you're struggling because you realize you haven't become. You realize that if you were to get into a room and just go into silence, turn off everything, and it's just you and God, you realize that even though you say you're a Christian, that if it was just you and God, you're scared of that silence, you're scared of that moment because you would realize that there's nothing between you and God, that there's very little, maybe just some stories, maybe just some prayers when you're in trouble, and you realize that you don't know the living God. You haven't experienced the power. If that's you, 
this morning, I want you to pray this prayer. Father, thank you for bringing me back to you. Bring me back to the heart of worship. Holy Spirit, I want to rededicate my life to you. I want to respond. I want to actively follow you. I know salvation is by grace, but help me to follow you. Help me to follow you this morning. If that's you this morning, this church is here to help you take your next step in discipleship, to journey with you. We are family. We don't judge you. We want you to come closer to God. If that's you, we're here to walk with you as a church family. Now the rest of you pray this with me. Father, we come as your disciples. Help us, Lord, to put away distraction. Help us, Lord, to live for you. Help us to realize that we need to actively follow you each and every day. Help us, Lord, to go through our day, each step that we can remember with Jesus, with Jesus, with Jesus. Walk with us, Lord, through the power of the Spirit. Help us be reminded that though we may not have been baptized this morning, help us to remember the joy of our salvation, that at one time we were baptized and we were excitedly ready to live for you. Help us to remember that we need to do that through the power of your Spirit with you, with us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.